0: Church, let me encourage you now to grab a Bible, grab your Bible or one of the Bibles around the room and join me in the book of Malachi. Malachi is in the Old Testament, it's the final book of the Old Testament right before the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today we're we're beginning a new series. We're going to be walking through this minor prophet, this book of the Old Testament, the, the Oracle of Malachi, speaking into the, the people of God. And, and, and what I have found, is, you're turning there right now, what I've found is I've been preparing for this series. This is the first time I've, I've ever preached through the book of Malachi, but I have been so Encouraged and so blown away, honestly, at how an ancient writing, several thousand years old, spoken to a specific group of people at a very specific time in the nation of Israel's history, can be so applicable today to our lives, to the world we live in and to the culture around us. And so I just hope and pray as we step into this journey that that you're gonna have open hands, that I'm gonna have open hands, that we're gonna see what the Lord has for us specifically through, through this ancient prophet in the book, Of Malachi today is going to serve somewhat as an introduction. We're going to look at the first five verses of Malachi chapter one, and there's some some very very heady and deep doctrine that Malachi is going to invite us to jump into right out of the gate. But we're also going to see just a little historical overview of what has been taking place in the nation of Israel, the people of God, to lead to this part. of the the scripture where Malachi begins to speak prophetically over the people. So Malachi chapter one, here we go in this journey, beginning in verse one and reading through verse five. And I do wanna invite you, if you're willing and able to stand back up with me for the reading of God's word. This is something we do week in and week out here at Shades to be reminded the word of God is our foundation. The word of God is what we need to hear. The word of God is what the people of God stand upon. What God says is right and good and true. What was right and good and true for Malachi is right and good and true for us today. so we turn our attention to the Holy Scripture. This is what we see, Malachi 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Here's the word. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. This is the word of the Lord through the prophet Malachi. Let me invite you to pray with me that the Lord would use this time to speak into our lives and then we'll be seated after after I pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we now come before you and as we invite your spirit, your Holy Spirit to, to move among this room and those who are listening to this message online, Father, we, we need to hear from you. As so I pray this often as we turn to your word, we, we pray that you would have your way, that you would show us what you want us to see and you would show us what you want us to do in light of what you reveal. Oh, Father, I pray that we would have greater clarity of who you are, greater clarity of what you have done, greater understanding of the love and the grace that you have made available to us through Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would do that as we walk through this study of Malachi. Father, open our eyes to see what we need to see and be glorified through it all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. And I do want to begin this morning with just a very brief, high-level flyby of of some of the history of Israel, the people of God, and, and what God has been doing among his people throughout the Old Testament that leads us to this place where the prophet Malachi stands up, to deliver the word of the Lord. So we're gonna cover about 500 years of Israel's history in just a few minutes, just to get started. So if you go back to, to when Israel was established as a great nation, you could say that the, the greatest time of prominence, uh, the golden age, if you would, for the nation of Israel, for the people of God, was when King David was reigning and ruling and then King Solomon, David's son, took the throne. And this, this was the, the time when Israel, Israel was at its height, great prosperity, great blessing of God, experiencing God's favor over and over again. But then when Solomon dies, The story for the people of Israel begins to change drastically. In fact, it's just in one generation after Solomon's death that that Israel is actually divided into two kingdoms. It is split into a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. There is great unrest. There is great division among God's people. And then as time moves forward, both kingdoms... The kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south there, they're both taken away into exile. The, the northern kingdom of, of Israel is taken into exile by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of, of Judah is taken into exile by the Babylonians under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the horrific tyrant evil kings that, that put his thumb down on Israel throughout their history. And it's a time of tremendous hardship. It's a time of tremendous pain. Jerusalem is destroyed. Solomon's temple is burned to the ground. The walls around Jerusalem come down. But even as the people are in exile, and even as the people wonder, has God forsaken us? Has God abandoned us? God continued to send spokesmen and send people to, to rise up and remind his people that he in fact was with them, that he would rescue them, he would restore them and he would bring them back together as a great nation for his glory. I want to give you an example of this. Jeremiah chapter 29, a passage of scripture that if you spent any time studying the Old Testament, you might be familiar with Jeremiah 29. There, there's an amazing statement of God's provision in Jeremiah 29. But listen to what the word of the Lord says to the people of God who are in exile. Jeremiah 29 verse 10. The scripture says this, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope, then you will call upon me and pray to me and and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all nations and all places I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to this place from which I sent you in to exile. Before we move forward with this, I just want to say right here, this is a reminder that God always fulfills his promises. You may be here today and maybe you're new to church or maybe you're coming back to church for the first time in a while, or maybe you've been walking through a season where you've just been wondering, does God even hear my prayers? Maybe you've just been wondering, is God really there? Does he even care about what I've got going on and the the struggles I'm facing and the challenges that are in front of me? And we are reminded time and time again throughout the word of God, that there are seasons where it seems like God is being silent, but God is never absent. And God is a God who always fulfills his promises. And if you will trust in him, just like God said to his people through Jeremiah, if you will trust in him, you will see his promise fulfilled for you in a future and a hope. It may not be the way you planned, it may not be on your timeline, but the promises of God to his people are always fulfilled and those who trust in him can know in confidence that there is a future, there is a hope in the promise and the provision of God. The people of God needed to hear this at this specific time. God speaks through Jeremiah this prophetic word that, that after a season in exile, the people would be restored. And so we step back into the historical timeline and we see there's really three specific uh, stages, if you will, three specific waves, how the people of God are brought back out of exile. First, God raises up a, a, a ruler, a governor named Zerubbabel, and he leads the people out of exile back to Jerusalem. And, and through Zerubbabel, the, the foundation of a new temple is laid in Jerusalem. Secondly, under, under Ezra, the, the, the prophet, We see that God uses Ezra to to build this new temple in Jerusalem. The second temple is completed and the the people of God can begin to gather again and, and worship in the temple in this holy, sacred space. And then third, God uses a man named Nehemiah to have a holy burden for the city of Jerusalem and to have a specific burden that the walls around the city be rebuilt. And so God uses Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And this, this happens over about a period of a of hundred years or so where Zerubbabel leads the people back to Jerusalem. Ezra leads the people to build the temple and Nehemiah leads the people to rebuild the walls around the city. And it's at this time, after about 100 years of the people being back in Jerusalem, that God sends the prophet Malachi to deliver a very specific word to his people. Malachi comes onto the scene during the fifth century BC, roughly 500 years or so before the Messiah would be born in the little town of Bethlehem. And God sends Malachi to the people because even as the people have been reestablished in Jerusalem, the people are continually facing hardship. It is hard to rebuild. It is hard to reestablish as a nation after so many years being taken away, stripped of everything in exile. This is not a prosperous time for the people of Israel. It's a hard time. They're they're struggling to get their footing back under them. They're struggling to to, to rebuild and they're comparing everything that they're experiencing to what once was. They're being reminded of, of David and Solomon and the prominence of what was and they're saying, this is not the way it once was. And so as a result, even though the people have been reestablished in Jerusalem and a new temple has been built, the people begin to to feel like God is not with them the way he once was. And as a result, the people start to just go through the motions They still will come to the temple and worship. They still will bring gifts and offerings, but but their offerings are, are actually empty and their worship is really just ritualistic. Their hearts begin to wander. Their hearts begin to drift. And even though they're showing up again, it's like they're getting further and further removed from God. And so Malachi comes onto the scene sent by God with a prophetic word, a prophetic word that is meant to shake the people, a prophetic word that is meant to rebuke the people as they are going through these rituals, but their hearts are not surrendered to the Lord. There's no fear, there's no awe, there's no wonder at who God is and what he has done. They're no longer enamored with God. I'm reminded of what Pastor Craig Gershell writes in his book that is called The Christian Atheist. He says, this is believing in God, but living life like he doesn't exist. Believing in God, showing up for worship from time to time, but living life as if God does not exist. That's where Malachi comes to the people. And the words that he brings are very challenging. The words that he brings are very pointed. The words that he brings hit right between the eyes for the people of God. They are a rebuke, but they are a rebuke that comes from a heart of love. And this is so incredibly important. Before we step back in to Malachi 1, I want to turn our attention to Proverbs chapter 3. I do believe that at some point over the next few weeks as we walk through the book of Malachi, if you join us for this time, there's gonna be a moment for all of us that's gonna feel like it stings a little bit. I don't know what that moment might be for you, but I'm just saying there's gonna be a moment in this book of rebuke where it might not feel real good. But when that happens, when the rebuke of the Lord comes, what's called the discipline of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord is always brought to us as a gift of love. So Proverbs 3 reminds us of this, verse 11 and 12. This is Solomon. He says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Malachi is a very challenging word to receive from the Lord, but Malachi is speaking from a place of love as a father would speak to the son in whom he delights. And so as we go back to the beginning of this book, we see that Malachi is setting the tone for a challenging rebuke, but he's doing so through the gift of God's love. Malachi 1, let me read it again. Verse 1, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? And God's response is is Esau, not Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob But Esau I have hated, I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert." Now, doesn't that sound like a romantic love letter? Let me remind you of my love. I've loved Jacob, I've hated Esau, and I've left him out in the hill country, laid waste uh, with the heritage of jackals in the desert. That doesn't seem really loving. What is this all about? How in the world are we supposed to understand the love of God through what Malachi is speaking to the people? Well here Malachi again is taking them back to their history, back to the very beginning where they were established as a people. And he's taking them back to when Jacob and Esau were born as twin brothers to Isaac and Rebekah. Now Isaac is the son of Abraham, father Abraham the father of the faith. And so Abraham is the grandfather of these twin boys that are born to Isaac, Esau and Jacob. And in Jewish tradition, It would have been very common for for the firstborn son, whether this was a, a single birth or twins that were born, the firstborn son would receive the birthright of the family, would be blessed by the family, would be the one that carries forth the lineage of the family and receive the inheritance of the family. And Esau's born first. And yet it's Jacob that God says he loved. By outward appearance, Esau develops into a man that seems to be the type of guy that God should bless. He was, he was rugged, he, he was manly, he liked to hunt. Come on, Alabama. He wore boots, I, I added that part. I don't know if he wore boots or not, but I'm sure he had cool sandals. A rugged dude, a man's man. And yet Jacob, Jacob's a deceitful kind of wimpy mama's boy. He doesn't really like the outdoors. He lies to his father. He deceives his brother. I mean, he's kind of a slimy guy. And yet God is saying to his people, "Remember, remember your story? I chose Jacob, I loved Jacob, not Esau. And here through the prophet Malachi, we are being reminded of God's love on display through his sovereign election. Now we're gonna try to to walk through this a little bit because this is a challenging doctrine, a doctrine that is mysterious in, in many ways, the doctrine that is hard for us to fully get our head around a doctrine that that has caused tension for many people. In fact, you you may be here this morning a little nervous that the Baptist preacher is talking about election. Are Baptists even allowed to have this conversation? I thought that was for our Presbyterian brethren down the street, but this is all throughout the word of God. The doctrine of election, God's sovereign election is all throughout the scripture and is intended to show us the love of God displayed. It reminds us of the authority and the sovereignty of God. Those who receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ have been chosen by God to be a part of his family. The New Testament would call this adoption into his family as a son or a daughter of the king that we were not born into the family of God. We we must be reborn into the family of God. We must respond in faith to the calling of God to be invited into the family of God as an adopted son or daughter. This is a doctrine, please don't misunderstand. This is a doctrine of love that shows God's love for those whom he calls His own. Why do I say that? I say that because there are none of us who are deserving of being called a child of God. There are none of us who have done anything to earn or deserve the invitation to be a child of God. We do not deserve the love of God. Romans chapter three, verse 20 makes this very clear. We must understand this to understand the beauty of the gospel. Romans three twenty says this, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You cannot work your way to God. I cannot earn my way to God. There is no human being that is justified in the sight of God through our works. We cannot measure up because of our sin. And so God is using this doctrine of election and the example of Jacob and Esau to remind the people of his love. He's saying, how can you go through the motions when I have chosen you to be my own? How can you come to me with empty worship when I have called you to my family? How can you just look at your faith as a monotonous to-do list When you have been called a son or a daughter of the king, God is saying to his people, I chose you not because you are somehow better than every other nation, not because you somehow deserved it. I chose you because I chose you. That's what God is saying. I am God. You are not. I chose you because I chose you. And I chose you to demonstrate my love, not only to you, but to other people so that they could see and understand who I am and what I have done. Don't you see how much I love you? God is saying to his people. Please hear this. It's so important that we understand this Jacob and Esau, neither one of them deserved to be chosen by God. Jacob nor Esau deserve to receive the love of God. And where we often get tripped up in this conversation around the doctrine election is, is we start to focus on who is elect and, and who is not. And, and we can get so wrapped up in this conversation that we actually miss the forest through the trees. We hear that God chose Jacob and we think, but why not Esau? We hear that God chooses some and we think, but why not others? The Apostle Paul actually gives us some great insight if that question is on our mind in Romans chapter 9. Again, we're swimming in the deep end of the pool here today, but this is so important to understand what the Word of God says Romans chapter nine, the apostle Paul actually quotes the prophet Malachi, looking back at Jacob and Esau. We see this beginning in verse 13, listen to the word of the Lord. Paul writes as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Is it unfair that God chose one and not the other? Is there injustice on God's part? Paul writes, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Mercy. See, Paul is saying, look, the, 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 the better question is not, why did God choose Jacob and not choose Esau? The better question is, why did God choose anyone? He certainly didn't have to. We certainly don't deserve it. We certainly can't earn it. For all of sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not even one. Paul is saying the more appropriate question to ask and the focus of our attention when we hear the doctrine of election should not be on who's chosen and who's not, but why in the world would God choose anyone at all? And Paul says the reason why is so that he could show his mercy and it's, It's his authority showing his mercy. It's his authority showing his compassion on whom he has compassion. It is for his glory that God would save anyone. It is for his glory that God would choose anyone. And this doctrine is meant to overwhelm us uh, in, in humility, that God would choose anyone at all to be used by him for his purpose to demonstrate his love to those who are around us. The doctrine of election shows us that those who are saved by God have done nothing to earn or deserve that salvation. It is a free gift of grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ that points to his love. Now Malachi continues in verse 4, with another very challenging doctrine. As if it's not challenging enough to wrestle with the doctrine of election, we then are invited to wrestle with the doctrine of justice. As Malachi reminds the people of God that God's love is displayed through his justice. Malachi 1 verse 4 says it this way, if Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Now, again, we have to ask the question, how in the world does this demonstrate the love of God? Well, here Malachi is reminding the people of God that God is a God of justice and justice will be served. I I wanna say it again, because I want us to all make sure we hear this. God is a God of justice and justice will be served. Evil will not go unpunished. Please hear this. No one will get away with anything in the sight of a holy God. This is important that we understand. God is a God of justice. And Malachi is using an example that the people can relate to as he is prophesying over them. He talks about the nation of Edom. The Edomites are, are actually neighbors to the nation of Israel and they are from the lineage of Esau. When Judah was taken away into exile. The Edomites entered into an alliance with the Babylonians against the people of God. Wanting to destroy the people of God. These are enemies of the people of God from the lineage of Esau and God is showing his people Edom will face justice. They may try to continue to build up their nation, but God is saying they will face justice and the nation will fall apart. In fact, as Malachi is prophesying to the people of God in the fifth century, the Edomites are beginning to to disintegrate as a nation. They are beginning to fall apart as a nation. And God is saying through Malachi, it may seem like Edom got away with what they did, but no one gets away with anything in the sight of a holy God. God is not mocked. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says it this way. And I know this is weighty, but we need to hear it. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, this is the Lord, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Sin will not go unpunished. Justice will be served. And God is reminding the people that his love is displayed through his justice. Now, how do we see that the most clearly? This is where we have a tremendous advantage over fifth century Israeli people of God, fifth century Jewish people of God. We can see the love of God displayed through his justice through the lens of the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ is where the justice of God is most accurately displayed. And the cross of Jesus Christ is where the love of God is most accurately displayed. It is at the cross that the justice of God punishing sin is in full force as the wrath of God is poured out on himself in place of you or me. The wrath of God is poured out on Jesus Christ at The cross and the love of God is perfectly displayed as Jesus willingly takes the punishment that your sin and my sin deserves on his back to demonstrate the love of God as he demonstrates the justice of God. And so the question for you and me is really the same question that would have been before the Edomites as they were trying to rebuild even though they had sinned against God the question is will we try to trust ourselves to face justice will we rely on ourselves standing in the face of the justice of God, or will we look to the one who took the wrath of God on his back at the cross in our place? The justice of God demonstrates the love of God and the justice of God calls us to question, are we trusting in ourselves for justice or trusting in our ability to stand before God or are we trusting in what Christ has done for us? Finally, we come to verse five. This is where we'll wrap up this morning. And here we see another beautiful and important doctrine that runs throughout the word of God. And that is that the love of God is displayed in his grace. This is the doctrine of grace. And we see it show up here in Malachi chapter one, verse five, almost 500 years before the Messiah, Jesus would would be born in the flesh and go to the cross to demonstrate the grace of God for sinners like you and me. What does the verse say? Malachi 1.5. Your eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. You may want to underline or circle this verse in your Bible, Malachi 1.5. Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. This is such good news. This points us to the gospel. This shows us that the love of God is not just available to those who are from the nation of Israel. Praise God. The love of God is not just available to to those who are in Jerusalem, inside the city walls. No, the love of God has been displayed beyond the border of Israel. The love of God has been made available through Jesus Christ to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group, that the nations of the world may know that there is a God who is great beyond the border of Israel. Now, with that being said, I want to ask you a very important question as we wrestle with the doctrine of election and the doctrine of justice and the doctrine of grace. How do we know who are the elect? How how do we know who has been chosen by God to be one of his own? The good news for us in this question is that the Bible makes it very, very clear. 1 John chapter 5, I want to draw your attention there, and then I'll close this message today in our introduction of Malachi. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, says it this way This is the testimony. God gave us eternal life and that life is in his son. How do you know he's chosen? Whoever has the son has the life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have the life. And John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Who are the elect? The elect are those who have the son. Whoever has the son has the life. Do you have the son? If you have received Jesus as your savior and your Lord, you have been called by God, chosen by God to be a part of his family. He who has the son has the life. Are you wondering? Am I part of God's chosen people? Am I part of The elect to be adopted into his family? Well, do you believe in the name of the Son of God? For if you do, John says, you may know that you have eternal life. And the reason God sends his people out into the world with this good news is because as long as there is breath in our lungs, there is a message to tell, a message of hope, a message of peace, a message of promise that comes through Jesus Christ. And we have no idea who God will call and invite to join his family, but we do know he wants more and more and more to come. And so we go and we tell and we go and we share, not trying to evaluate is somebody chosen or not. No, we go and we tell trusting that our God is sovereign and trusting that he displays his love as people are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus. So if you're here today wondering whether or not you're part of the the chosen to be part of God's family, well, you can know. You can know if by faith you trust in the son, by faith you receive the life. Maybe for some of you today is the day that you become a part of the family of God by choosing in faith to receive what God is offering to you in his grace. By choosing to receive what Jesus Christ has done For you, he who has the son has the life. The invitation is open. Will you receive it? And will you become a part of the family of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord? I wanna have a word of prayer for us to that end and we'll close our time together, lifting our voices in response to what we have seen and what we have heard in God's word. These deep and and heavy doctrines of the word of God, they, they are meant to lead us to worship. To lead us to gratitude at who God is and what he has done. Malachi is calling the people, return and see what God has done. Return and remember who God is. Return and remember what you have been given. So let's pray together. And let's ask God to not only remind us of what he's done, let's ask God to use us to show others what he has done. Has done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you lay before your people. And I pray, Lord God, that, that we would trust you in faith, even with things that are hard for us to comprehend. Father, for those who are here today who have trusted you by grace through faith, who have followed you receiving the gift of salvation that you provide. I pray, Lord God, that as we leave today, we would leave remembering who you are and what you have done, ready to go and tell and share this good news that the world needs to hear. Call more to yourself through your people here at Shades. Use us for your glory. And Father, for those who are here today who perhaps have been wrestling with their faith or or asking a lot of questions and wondering, uh, can can this really be for me? Can I really be part of the family of God even in spite of the things I've done or the things I've experienced? Can, Can this really be for me? Lord, I pray, I pray that they would see the invitation that is made through the good news of the gospel. By grace, through faith, you can be saved. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, I pray that there will be some who join the family of God today who say, I I am receiving the Son. So I know, I know through the Son, I have the life. Through the Son, I am part of the family. Through the Son, I have been adopted as a child of God. Lord, I pray there would be some today that would step out on faith, receiving what you are calling them into through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for being sovereign over all these things. And we pray, Lord God, that you would use our lives to point others to your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.